So it's very, very close to a very special holiday, a special holiday where we celebrate green beer, lots of fun and revelry. And in honor of that holiday, we are very blessed because we have our own Reverend Patrick. And I think it's important that today we saint him so we will have our own Saint Patrick that we can love and adore and cheer and welcome to the stage, Reverend Patrick Cameron. things, you know. Spend a dollar and a quarter on something and it doesn't work. <laughs> Actually, Reverend Connie brought this today. I did not bring this, but you know, I will put this aside for a moment. When it was flashing at the earlier service, we did it for both, but we wanted to share that with you. It was a bit distracting, <clears throat> and for some they liked that, but anyway. So, welcome. Here it is. So did y'all, you know, a week ago, this was uh, 10.30, Welcome, you all made it. I was quite impressed this morning with so many people we had at the first service. So what I'm going to invite you to do is, as Brown starts to doodle on the piano is, uh, if you'd like to stand and sing a song, if you'd like to stay seated, and just pretend you're singing, that's good too. And then we'll move into a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to our every fear. For spirit, one spirit. Is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me, each time that we turn our attention inward, each time we choose it, it chooses us. We are immersed in spirit. And so in understanding that and making that real in this moment for myself, I invite you to know with me that there is one life, and that life is God's life, that life is perfect, and that life is my life right here and right now. I'm not talking about personality, I'm not talking about ego. I put all those things down in this moment and relax into this field of grace that we are immersed in. It is a vibration of the Most High, and the quickest and most beautiful way to it is surrender. So I stand with you in that surrender. I stand in the willingness and the openness to be guided and directed in every good way, intuitively as well as intellectually. I stand in this with you. I give thanks knowing every good thing because we have chosen it. I have chosen it. And if you agree with me, you have chosen it. To be informed, to be resourced, the opportunities and the next best thing for each and every one of us is awaiting our welcome. So I say yes in the willingness and the openness to move into that experience right here and right now 
My expectancy is a life of awe, of grace, of beauty, of joy, of possibility, opportunity. That we are sufficient to this day, you and I. And in that blessing and in that knowing, I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Awesome. Please be seated. Here we are. So we have been, thank you, Brown, for that beautiful accompaniment, for that prayer and your support. Yeah, thank you. We have been having a discussion around a new book this month called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And it's a wonderful book. I think it just lines up so beautifully. Been reading a, 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 got, I've always got several books going. Been reading a book by Carolyn Mace, which I mentioned last week, called Defying Gravity, Healing Beyond Reason. And, in, in, you know, what the avatars have told us down through the ages is that, that anything is possible with God. Anything is possible. And so it's also to but live grounded in this reality and understand our, our part to play in this, that we're not here. This idea of miracles, um, I've heard many New Thought people say they're normals. So let's invite more normals into our lives rather than miracles. So the miraculous or what we seem to be miraculous we can invite into our, our life. Carolyn Mace says that we have gone beyond in terms of consciousness and the evolution of the planet. We've gone beyond just this linear, linear scientific thinking. We've really stepped into an era where it's so important that the spiritual and the intuitive be honored and developed. Without the spiritual and the intuitive, we just continue to have the same experiences over and over again. I'm going to share with you today some ideas around what the, the, the linear thinking will bring us to in terms of abundance. This year's theme is the art and heart of abundant living. And so, what Lynn Twist talks about in this, this wonderful book, a quotation that, that uh, well, first of all, the, the title today is Love, Lies, and a Great Awakening. Love, Lies, as in non-truths, and the Great Awakening. And she said the great lie is scarcity. We live, in a, we live on a planet where scarcity is the great lie. We've heard this before. In the, in the Trance of Scarcity by... Victoria Castle, we discussed it uh, several months back. But there's a quotation in this chapter that says, there's a natural law of abundance which pervades the entire universe, but it will not flow through a doorway of lack and limitation. So how do we open that doorway? How are we open to this, this possibility? Well, first of all, I think it's important to identify some of the myths that exist. And she identifies three. And maybe these resonate for you. If you don't have any attachment to any of these, fantastic. You can just move on. So just don't pay any attention to what I'm saying. Myth number one, there's not enough. Anybody here ever feel like there's not enough in your life? I mentioned it last week. She says there's the myth of not enough time, not enough sleep, not enough energy, not enough friendship, not enough love, whatever it may be. We can get up out of bed and say, oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Not enough, not enough. So what happens with not, not enough is we compete to get more. We've got to get more than the other guy. And it becomes a competition. Has anybody ever had that experience? Not you, personally, I'm sure, but somebody you might know. So myth number one, there's not enough. And it's a very popular idea. If we look at what's happened with the financial challenges with the banks and the, everything on the news all day long, it's amazing. We are inundated with information. You know, the Alberta economy, and they're cutting back with social programs, and they're doing this and doing that. And it's just it's fascinating to watch. Not that it isn't real and true, but it's just interesting the amount of energy that goes into this idea there's not enough. What did we do before we had all this money, these millions of dollars for programs that now they're cutting back? And what happens is it creates fear because all of a sudden, Diane comes in every week and she's, she's, she's 
uh, Diane Romachuk, she's in the front row here, stuffs our programs each week for us, but she's involved with the, uh, the charitable organization in town, and every week she's asking to promote something, and she needs volunteers, and they need money, and they're going to go down to the legislature, and they're going to, they've got to scream for more money, and I, and I, you know, and I honor all of it, but it's a reflection of that fear that there's not enough. What did they do before they had the, the few million dollars they're cutting back on? If, if you guys started to stop supporting this in the way that you do now, we would do it differently. We would just do it differently. We would do what we do, but we would do it differently. And we would provide the best services we're capable of doing based on that experience. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's interesting when you get into the fear of not enough. What happens? Because there's a hysteria, and usually the most vulnerable, which is in Diane's case, are the most affected by it. Because it's easy to cut back on that. And it's the mindset. So when our leaders, Enron, the banks in the United States, what created this? I'm untying my shoes here with the other shoe right now. It's quite interesting. <laughs> what happens is the people in leadership have bought into so strongly this idea that there's not enough that we have this result. So if there's not enough, let's gather as much as we possibly can. And let's just keep gathering. Let's just keep gathering and gathering and gathering. It's interesting, she talks about in the book, someone that has an income of $5 million a year. And so what they're doing, an example she gave us, this individual being given the golden parachute, needed a $15 million golden parachute to retire. How much is enough? There's a great story at the beginning of this book where she's meeting with Mother Teresa and a couple, a very affluent Indian couple come in and they're, be, they're just decked out to the, you know, to the nines with, with their jewelry and their outfits and their perfume and their cologne. And she's visiting with Mother Teresa and they come in and they basically just barge in lift Mother Teresa up out of her chair and have her pose with them for pictures, just spontaneously, and ask Lynn Twist to take pictures. And then, and here's Mother Teresa, and she's hunched over from osteoporosis, and they take her head and literally crank it up so that they take a picture of her looking at them. And, and Lynn Twist is just incensed. She's just so, so insulted, and, and you know, there's just this living saint and to be treated this way. And she just goes on and on. And finally, she's shared with Mother Teresa. She said, these people are horrible. This is awful. And Mother Teresa said, you know what we need to understand is these people need the compassion and the love as much as the poor do. Because even though they have much, they're still poor. And she said it was such a profound learning for her. We can have millions and millions of dollars and still feel like we don't have enough. So this idea of the art and heart of abundance, what is that? There's not enough is one of the myths. Myth number two, more is better. Drives a... A competitive culture of accumulation, acquisition, and greed that not only heightens fears and quickens the pace of the race and the rush for more, but it distances us from experiencing the deep value of what we have, what we've already acquired or already have. So we, we don't savor. There's no savoring. Can we savor this day? Possibly. Can we put it down? In the, in the mindset of scarcity... Even too much is not enough in this myth. And the third myth, that's just the way it is. It's one of my favorite myths, that's just the way it is. Because what that creates for is resignation. We just give up. There's not enough. It's, we become hopeless, helpless, and cynical. And cynical is, not the, is the idea that not only can't I have, but I'm going to make damn well sure nobody else has. It's a very popular idea. So lack of money becomes an excuse to hold back from commitment, from contributing what we do have, from giving our time, our energy, and our creativity. And we're moving into a new paradigm. Lynn Twist has worked with world hunger for years. That became her cause, and she's gone out, and she's traveled the world, and she's been exposed to many cultures. 
She talks about her experience in South America with the, uh, the tribe called the Anchuar. And she said for them, the, 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 the currency with the Anchuar is reciprocity. Reciprocity is the social currency. So giving back and sharing and sharing everything they have. She said within their culture, they have everything they need. They have food, they have shelter, they have, they have sufficient fuel to burn fires and cook, and they all share. She said, for the Anshuar, wealth means being present to the fullness and richness of the moment and sharing that with one another. Share that with one another. It's just a different way of doing it. So she, she talks about, uh, in the book, of a story of Senegal. She went over to Senegal with world hunger, and there was a group of people there that needed help. I think I recognize that tune. Someone's singing. could be happy days are here again, but I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, and we, we bless the, the singer. We're going to start a choir, by the way. You should sign her up for that. Anyway. But in Senegal, she, she uh, was called, they were called to ask to help some people. And they were indigenous people. And that they lived out in the uh, S-H-A-E-L desert. Shahel Desert is what I'm going to guess is how it's pronounced. And I'm sure someone will correct me in the reception line afterwards. But that's how I'm going to pronounce it. And so, in the Shahel Desert, she went out, and they, they were driving in a caravan of trucks. There were 18 volunteers, and they were going to see what they could do to help these people. And the, 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 the challenge for them was they were running out of water, and it, they live in the desert. And so they knew they pretty much had enough water to get through the next year. But these were a group of indigenous people. They had never received help from any government agency. They were, they were illiterate. And, um, but they... they somehow it was communicated and, and there was an opportunity for them to step out and see what they could do. And so she got there and it was a Muslim community, so there was a circle. They met and, and she said as they drove, the interesting thing is they drove, they said the driver in the lead trucks stopped for a bit and just listened as they drove out into this desert. And all of a sudden you could hear this faint sound of drums, drumming. And so they said the driver smiled and he just started off slowly towards the drumming. And they found the whole tribe, 120 people, underneath some palm trees. And so they got out and they greeted and they said the women were dancing and the children were so excited to see them come. and just welcomed them with open arms and great joy. And so they, they had a tribal council and they said in the inner circle where the men all sat. You know, because the men, we got all the great ideas, don't we? The men? And then the women were beyond there. And so the women sat in the outer circle and she sat there with them. And so she watched what was going on and they knew they needed water, they needed help. She said that it came to her to talk to the women, find out what the women thought. And so she met with the women. She was given permission to meet with them. And the women said, you know what, we've seen it in vision, we've seen it in dreams, but we are standing over a dry, a dry lake bed. And if you will support us and get it in some way we can dig for it, because we'll do the work, we'll do the physical work. We know there's water here. And so she went and she talked to the, the powers that be, the men in the inner circle. And reluctantly they said, okay, but these women are probably crazy. And it was not worked at the, in that community and in that culture that women no normally do. She said this about this group of people when she met them. Never having received aid, never having been exposed to any government assistance, uh, any, any form of uh, formal interaction in any way, shape, or form. She said these people definitely needed more than food and water, but they were not poor. They were not resigned. They were eager to create a way through this challenge, and they burned with the fire of possibility. They burned with the fire of possibility. They were a well of strength, a wealth of perseverance and ingenuity. 
They wanted our partnership, not handouts or food or money, but respect and equal partnership is what we brought. I was just watching uh, Sean Penn this week. I think Sean Penn is just a a modern-day hero with what he's doing in Haiti. So he's just about out of money. He said, I've got to go back and make another movie so I can provide more. Who knows what he's given, and he's not talking about it to Haiti. But he's gone in there, and he's created his own way of distribution. Because he said, what happens with the, the, the powers that be with the distribution that's available in many countries like Somalia and, and the stories of coming out now like Live Aid, a lot of the, the food that went to Ethiopia helped buy arms to con- continue the conflict, which we think we're just given because we're generous and we want to help. But it, what, it, what our, our generosity will do in many ways is it, it creates more friction and more dis- discord and dis-ease in terms of generosity. And so what they wanted, what these people wanted and to be held in dignity is to be given partnership. They're not standing there begging. They're just saying, we know there's a way through this. And if you guys can help us, fantastic. But they weren't asking for handouts. And it's very interesting. And Sean Penn, so what Sean Penn's done in Haiti is he's gone in and he's got people, other people that have donated. He's flying in supplies and they're going into the, heart, the toughest areas with doctors and they're helping support them and find the people and get the aid directly to the people. But it isn't an interesting. With all of the agencies that are involved, they say what happens for many times, you ship the, the aid and all of a sudden there's a, a middleman that takes the, the, the aid and all of a sudden it becomes a bargaining chip for exploitation. And so when we're aware of that, how can we make sure that the aid is getting to the people that, that it can most benefit rather than become one more cog in this dysfunctional system? I think it's wonderful to know this. And my hat's off to this guy because he's incredible. So these people, they wanted partnership, not handouts or money or food. They wanted respect and equal partnership, and that's what we brought. And that's holding one another as, as capable. It doesn't matter whether they can read or not. It doesn't matter if they need, they, they need a... They're not asking for a handout. They're asking for partnership. They're asking for a way to partner in a solution to get through this. So she said to the, the powers that be, these women know there's a, dry, there's a, there's a lake bed here. There's, there's water here. Let them dig. And so they let the women dig. And the women dug and dug and dug, and lo and behold, guess what? There's a, a lake there. And so not only did they get enough water for their tribe, because they were all running out of it, there were 17 other tribes that go to that pumping station and receive water. You know, it's this, this intuitive knowing. I, was, I got up this morning, and I had this strange dream about a, a, a friend of mine that had recently contacted me, uh, from my, my childhood, we went to grade school and high school together, and she was the one that had sort of tracked me down to let me know that a mutual friend's son had passed away, that I went to the memorial in Denver. And so I had this interesting dream, and I have very lucid dreams, as I've mentioned. And in it, we, I had met her. We were in Las Vegas together, of all places. And we were, we were talking about our mothers. And, and then we were... And we were in this, she was in a casino way far down the strip, and I was in the other one, and we were riding the tram back and forth and getting lost the whole time and trying to have this conversation. And I got lost in the elevator, and I woke up. And, but what I knew is I should probably email her and see what's going on because we'd emailed a couple weeks ago, say hi. And, and she had tracked Laura and I down in California, and a wonderful husband, just beautiful family. So I went to my computer, which I normally don't do on Sunday because it's a distraction, and I want to just keep tracking with what I want to share. But I opened up my email, and there's an email from her. And I thought, isn't this interesting? I've just spent the last, whatever it takes for that dream, it was probably seconds. And here I'm having this dream about her. And she says, if you could, and, and she listens to the talks every week, which is so sweet. She always tells me how wonderful, she, she appreciates the, the, the broadcast. And, but she said, I, I'm asking for prayer support. My son has got a real low white blood cell count, and he's got a test on Tuesday. And could you include him in your prayer this day? And I thought, isn't it interesting how God gets our attention? 
I thought, just uh, interesting. I mean, I, I just got up thinking I was coming down the steps, and I told Laura, you know, I had this dream, which was so random to me. And yet here's this, and here's this longing for conversation and connection. Here's these women that just know there's water here. And if you give us permission to dig, we'll find the water. How many, how many oracles, how many signposts show up in your life that you ignore at times? When you know in your heart of hearts. And then you realize after you didn't walk through the doorway, oh, I should have done that. Oh, I didn't trust the intuition. It's a whole conversation. It's a whole conversation that's just interesting and wonderful. So these people showed up in their life. And it was a gift to her. It was a gift to Lynn Twist as well as it was, was to this tribe in Senegal. She said, not one, but 17 villages now have water. The whole region is transformed. Women's leadership groups in all 17 villages are their centers of action. There is an irrigation and chicken farming. There are literacy classes. There's businesses. People are flourishing, and they are contributing members of their country. They face new challenges now, and they meet them with the same dignity and commitment. These women are now a respected part of the community in a new way, with greater access to leadership, and the tribe is proud that it was their own people, their own work, and, their, and the land they lived on that proved to be the key to their own prosperity. And this is all an example of sufficiency. Sufficiency isn't an amount at all. It is an experience. So that today, the great lie, the great love, the lie, and the great awakening, it's the sufficiency. It is the consciousness of sufficiency. As long as we buy into these myths, there's not enough. Well, that's the way it's always going to be. More, more, more. Those myths, we cannot stand in sufficiency. Sufficiency is a declaration, a knowing that there's enough and that we are enough. Not when we take another class, meet the right person, find the right job, that we are enough right here and right now. Sufficiency resides inside of each of us. This is right out of Lynn Twist's book. It's on page 74 and 75. Sufficiency resides inside of each of us, and we could call it forward. It is a consciousness, an intention, an internal choosing of the way we think about our circumstances. In our relationship with money, it is using money in a way that expresses our integrity, using it in a way that exp expresses value rather than determines value. So we use it, we're here to use money. We are the masters of money. We are not the victims. Money does not determine our value. And yet for many of us, and I've fallen into this trap right with you, we think that the more we have, the more we're worth. It has nothing to do with value. It's arbitrary. The Ashwar is that it was reciprocity to be sufficient and to share. So we've got a hold of this idea of money and we've used this for, for you know, the last few hundred years. It's just paper. It's not our value. It doesn't determine our value. Sufficiency is not a message about simplicity or about cutting back or lowering expectations. That's not what I'm talking about here. Do, do more with less or do, do less or have less. I'm not even talking about that. Sufficiency doesn't mean we shouldn't strive or aspire. Sufficiency is an act of generating, distinguishing, making known to ourselves the power and presence of our existing resources and our inner resources. It's blessing what's before us. That which we bless increases. When you give on a Sunday, when you give your gifts out in the world, if you give it from a consciousness of joy because you can, not because it's a marker that you're expecting something back, at the Winsper, we're going to announce, we're asking people for their suggestions on what do we support. We're going to take everything we collect, we'll announce that date, on the, at the Windspear, and we're going to give it out to the world. Not because we're trying to manipulate the universe, but because we can. And it's a declaration to us that we're sufficient. And everything, as long as we stand in the light of possibility, in our lives, in our community, anything is possible. But as soon as we start to think there isn't enough, 
It's a journey. It's building the spiritual consciousness, the spiritual muscles to stand in this. I'm not saying go out of here and get rid of all your fears and limitations, but be, start to become mindful of your fears and limitations. When you step out of that flow, that's the, that's the gift in it. None of us are going to master this this afternoon. And maybe you already have it mastered. And thank you for your good work and your diligence. But for most of us, it's, it's, it's a journey. Sufficiency is the truth. Sufficiency can be placed can be a place to stand. Let's stand in sufficiency today. Every one of you is beautifully dressed. Every one of you had enough clothes. I'll bet you every one of you had something to eat this morning. Every one of you found your way here, bright and articulate. But we take all those things for granted. And yet, when we can bless that experience, when we can bless the idea of ears to hear and hearts to feel, Sufficiency is the truth. Sufficiency can be a place to stand, a context that generates a complexity with new relationships with life, with money, and with everything that money can buy. I suggest that there's enough in nature. If we look at nature, we see it. In human nature and in the relationships we share with one another to have a prosperous, fulfilling life, no matter who you are or where you are in the spectrum of resources. I suggest that if you are willing to let go, let go of all the chase to rec- acquire or accumulate always more and let go of that way of perceiving the world, then you can take all that energy and attention and invest it in what you have. When you do that, you will find unimagined treasures and wealth of surprising and even stunning depth and diversity. I know it's, it, it seems counterintuitive, but as long as we keep running, and for myself as well, as long as we keep running after it, my declaration is there's not enough. We teach thought is creative. So if I need to keep running after it, I'm telling the universe at a very, very practical and deep level, there's not enough. There's a song by Janice Stanfield, and in it she says, My good will find me. My good will know me by my face. We have all been divinely blessed. And there are gifts and qualities seeking our welcome and our expression in, on this planet. But as long as we don't allow ourselves to step into that flow. And money is such a great metaphor. Money is such a great metaphor because it's so personal. It's so personal. Could it be, as she continues, page 93, could it be that the surprising truth, the revelatory truth of our time is that our relationship with money is based in an unexamined, unquestioned set of assumptions that are myths and lies and that spur us to act in ways that rob us of the satisfaction and fulfillment that we're looking for in life. Could it be that the key to turning around a runaway, unstable economy, culture, and almost frightening time in the evolution of civilization is in confronting and embracing the surprising truth that there is enough? We have enough, and we are enough. And that at the heart of every circumstance is, the poss- is that possibility and that opportunity. So it starts with us. It starts with us putting down this idea that we're not enough. We're enough right now. Despite the flaws, despite the gaps, despite everything going on, you are enough right now. And it's so important to start there. Because any, any prayers, any affirmative prayers we lay upon that consciousness, if we're not... Praying from that consciousness. Dr. Holmes used to say, the answer to the prayer is in the prayer. In other words, if we haven't had the shift in consciousness, the words that we're just announcing, we're just announcing. That's why it's important, I think, to partner in prayer with people. I want to share a wonderful song that I think is an anthem for at least my generation with you today. And and, uh, 
Jordan and I have been working on it for the last three years now, I think. But I'm going to invite Jordan to come on up and, and share this because I think this speaks so beautifully to exactly what Lynn Twist is talking about. You go right ahead. <clears throat> so the wind spear is going to be great. Those of you that want to be in the choir, we need to know because we need to send you the music. We're going to ask you to look, go online and learn the songs and learn the lyrics prior to the rehearsal. So if you're thinking, oh, I might sign up, might not sign up, sign up. We'll send it to you. If you get cold feet at the end, it's okay. We'll still love you. But don't, don't show up on the Friday night saying, what are we learning? What are we singing? That'll just be a step into it. You ready, buddy? Yep. Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. No greed or hunger And no religion too Imagine all the people Living life in peace I'm a dreamer But I'm not The only one Hope someday He'll join us And the world Will live as one Imagine no possessions I wonder if you can Nothing to kill or die for A brotherhood of man Imagine all the people Sharing all the world 
humor. But I'm not the only one. Hope someday you'll join us. And the world will live as one. And so it is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's sweet. Tell you what, if you knew the thousands of hours that went into rehearsal for that, you'd all be standing. But we gotta, I've got another song we're going to do at the Wind Spirit. I'm going to be the opening act. I'm really excited about that because I've always wanted to play at the Wind Spirit too. So uh, anyway, with that said, as our ushers come forward today, thank you so much. And bring your friends and family. We decided there is going to be a charge, by the way. So no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> no charge, it's free. It's free. <laughs> All right. So let us know. Let us stand in sufficiency this day. Let us know that if we're in intentional giving, our gifts have been conveyed. Let us know that, that the power and the potency of consciousness to stand in sufficiency together and whatever good thing that we are called to do and to support, that we determine value, that we already know that we are enough and that there is enough for everyone. We don't have a supply problem. We have a distribution problem. Let us call forth the consciousness and the awareness and the ability to share and be on this planet in the generosity and the grounding of truth, of sufficiency, that this moment is enough in every way, shape, and form. For this I give thanks. I give thanks to share my good with you and let us know that this good goes to, to create and to bring forth in our experience wonderful blessings individually and collectively. For this I give thanks. This is my truth. This is my knowing. I stand in that expectancy with you and together we say, and so it is.